Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wake up in the morning feeling like... Waterman is extremely well. She's very slippery. You don't own me. Okay, now the tough question. Is this a try? Yes or no? Just because I'm a woman. Welcome back, Try Hard. Hey, everybody. It's been a very exciting Six Nations weekend, and we are back in your podcast inboxes, ready to recap it. We've got our cause for positivity and our Try Hard tips, and we feel ready for it. How, how are you feeling about it, Nils? Yeah, great. I wonder why you're a little bit more positive than me about Six Nations, apart from being a complete Six Nations geek. Of the boys in red did a little bit better than the boys in white, but loads to uh, um, we don't lose, we learn. So yeah. uh... <laughs> every everything that happens is an opportunity to learn and grow. Um, so you know, no excuses, just solutions. And that goes for the pod as well. So we're going to start probably with a bit of try hards tippage and uh, pausing for positivity. My try hards tip I'm going to go first with um, a couple of weeks ago when I was convalescing with my hand, I made an executive decision that I needed a new dressing gown. I bought one from Asda. It has been life changing. Um, and it's just made me really realize the importance of having a dressing gown that you truly love because. I think at this time, it's the most important piece of clothing that anyone will own. So my try hard tip is go and buy yourself an Asda dressing gown. How much was it? I think it was 19.99. I can't remember. Oh. It wasn't, it, it wasn't really, or it might be 14.99. It wasn't very, very pricey. Um, but I mean, it's worth its weight in gold. It doesn't weigh that much, granted, because it's a dressing gown. <laughs> but um, it would be worth its weight in something semi-precious, that's for sure. The pockets aren't very deep would be my only complaint. Yeah. So my phone keeps falling out on my foot and stuff like that when I lean over. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> so painful. Um, I stubbed my toe three times uh, yesterday. It's possibly, and then hit my shin on the... Which um, toe? Big toe or little toe? Um, a variety of toes. Oh. <laughs> And I also hit my shin on a very big, heavy wooden coffee table. Um, I might have used some expletives, but my top tip and also a little bit of pause positivity. A couple of weeks ago, Tamara Taylor, um, England legend, reached out and said, can you do a little video um, or some something written down about why you get, got into coaching, um, what challenges you faced, um, just to try and inspire more people into coaching but I think so that they could start using some female examples um, because there's loads of us that um, have done a lot and uh, yeah so it was brilliant um, and my pause positivity is a shout out to um, Tamara to organize that and get it sorted but um, my top tip is to follow England Rugby Coach uh, on Twitter um, and also on Instagram. I have reposted a few of them but it has got all of the top female coaches in the country giving their top tips and also um, challenges that you face, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, give them a little follow um, and hear about some of our journeys because um, there's some really cool insight um, from them. I'll be doing that. I'll be doing that. Um, my pause for positivity. I know that you're going to question why this is a positive for everybody, but I just think as you know, everyone's favorite podcast co-host, everyone can share in my happiness that I've topped the match pint legends league 
for the first week <laughs> of this. I've picked up where I left off. I was really quite worried last week. I felt that there was a huge amount of pressure on my shoulders, much like when a huge artist wins a couple of Grammys for their first album, then has to follow it up and never as good the second time round. But, you know, like the postman, I always deliver. And oh, I called God. the uh, Calcutta Cup result spot on, undercooked the uh, the Italy-France one and obviously went for a Wales win in Cardiff. So, yeah, top of that Legends League. Although, and you're in second, so... Uh, yeah, with, with also a perfect prediction um, under my belt. <laughs> but what I will say is a huge shout-out to uh, Rebecca Weir, who is actually top of our tryhards league who is beating you so fair play to her and prizes are on her way um and you've got some information from match point haven't you because they've they've donated some more prizes um to our top five people which i think includes us no i'm not in there you're in there i'm in um, there <laughs> yeah so because um we are obviously Big supporters of the women's game. We are excited to be able to tell you that a pair of tickets to the 2022 Women's Six Nations, um, a match of their choice, I believe, will go to Rebecca Weir, who won this week's um, league. She topped it. Uh, she's Scottish, so never in doubt. She also gets the Guinness Puffer jacket and some try-hard stash. Um, Christopher Price, Andrew Griffiths, and the legend of Flandisil, Rodri Jeremiah, have all won <laughs> a pair of tickets to the 2022 Women's Six Nations and some bloody legend called LJ Jones. Um, what I might say is that pair of tickets that I have won, um, I won't take those from somebody else. But if there is anybody who is doing something for charity and would like them donated, if you tweet at tryhards, the Tryhards pod, um, and let us know, then I will quite happily give those to your charity um, fundraising for the week. So whoever gets in first, uh, they are there for you. So, yeah, I mean, it was a great start to match point for both of us. And, you know, yet again, the boys toil and fail to match us in their attempt to top that league. You know, it's... I'm not going to be too um, over confident um I know that you're you know celebrating in victory for week one but it's a long old six nations yes. and uh and as shown at the weekend anything can happen which I feel like maybe it's the elephant in the room maybe it's not the elephant in the room because everyone is bloody talking about the fact that Eddie Jones should be sacked England should all hand over their shirts to the academy boys learn how to play um and were absolutely terrible at the weekend when they lost to Scotland, which you know what? it's one of those things where it, it, it is unfair because as much as there's so much hyperbole about how bad England were and, you know, England didn't have a good game, but that's because expectation is so high in terms of the performance they'll give. But I do feel like there's a lot of England were terrible and we are overlooking the fact that Scotland were immense to a man. I know before I go any further, I have to give you the stage so that you can just give us a monologue on Cameron Redpath, whose debut on Saturday <laughs> was about as fairy tale as it gets. Oh, you know what? The only other part of that fairy tale would have been a full crowd and his parents, especially his dad in the in the crowd, um, ex-Scotland International, who I'm genuinely gutted, right? So I was on a call with him, um, Tom May, and we had Toby Flood. Um, I didn't ask. We were talking about the fact that Brian's son was, you know, did he, the fact he chose Scotland over England and he was in really good place and he was really excited. And I didn't ask him, how does it feel to not be there for his first cap? Um, you know, we've spoken about uh, parents being, who was the um, the all black that stayed the there? Yeah. Um, and those kind of those moments you don't get back. Um, but I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in their household um, and Brian just going absolutely wild. Um, I just think, you know, I think his first touch was that mask, picked the boot, the ball off his boots and just hoofed it downfield. Um, he absolutely leathered Billy Vinopola in the 22 as well. Um, I think England were playing with a penalty advantage, but like he it was like proper ricochet tackle I'm like who does that to Billy Vinopola let alone yeah. like this young fresh-faced little 12 that's got on their debut um 
and I just loved his interview at the end he was brilliant um and it's just what you want from somebody to take you know that no fear attitude and and, and actually I wouldn't expect any different for some for a teammate of Stuart Hogg given the attitude that he has got and people might kind of laugh about it or they might kind of say oh yeah whatever you don't you know everyone needs to feel special and be confident about themselves that he has lived it and breathed it um since being captain um and it's interesting I saw this one article about how um coaches you know everyone's slamming the coaches and actually Rob Baxter's got a lot to to say for himself as an Englishman because he has managed to take Johnny Gray and <laughs> um, and Stuart Hogg to the next level uh, with how they played. See, I think that's the typical Englishness is to claim credit for that, but I think it's got to go to Gregor and, you know, the, the foundations that Gregor laid as the Glasgow coach before this role and, and with the personnel that he's got there. Um, as happy as I am for all the players, it's Gregor that I feel especially... Um, it almost feels like a little bit of vindication. There was a, a conversation in the Scrum show that I produced the other week where, you know, maybe this feels like they promise a lot and don't always deliver it. And um, we overhype them. And actually, I think on Saturday, they really answered those critics about, oh, you know, Scotland can play a flair game, but they're a bit soft up front. I never, uh, ever in my life thought that I would say that I'm worried about Scotland bullying us, but that is how I feel about this coming Saturday. And I actually spoke to Hoggy on Sunday and told him that, and he uh, was lots of devil and smiley emojis of, I can't wait, which I'll be perfectly honest, has put the fear of God into me. Um, <laughs> but throughout that, that, you know, team on Saturday, they were phenomenal. And I think there's been lots of interesting um comments about Finn Russell and obviously he got the card and typical Finn style but he also had this kind of cool head at times and I think that's where we've seen a massive difference in him as a player over the past 12 months and after what happened last year Six Nations where there were a lot of things I think blown out of proportion from conversations and interviews that we've all had subsequently but um, he learned a lot and I think that really showed this weekend. There was a level of composure that Scotland showed that I think was one of the most outstanding parts of their game. Um, they were just phenomenal. Yeah, I, look, I, I think Finn, Finn was class. I think fundamentally where England, um, where England are able to turn the screw and are able to get those wins and is a pressure gauge. They are able to put a huge amount of pressure on teams physically and mentally by the way that they are absolutely drilled in defence. So you're, it's like literally running into a wall. There's no way through, nowhere through. Um, and then when they get the ball in attack, normally they're good at keeping it or they pin you back down into your own half and they say, right, play out because we're going to come and batter you. And that didn't that pressure gauge never really went into the red. And you see teams get hold and hold and hold and hold and then they collapse and that's when England pile on the points. That didn't happen at the weekend because England kept giving away penalties. So they kept releasing the pressure gauge back to green. Scotland would kick the points or take the territory. Happy days. And then and so normally in the latter part of the game where you think Scotland have just made so many tackles, they are absolutely physically, emotionally battered. They, they are holding on with their fingertips. And then the England get to score. When that happened, Scotland weren't fresh. Obviously, they'd had to put in a huge shift, but they never they hadn't had to hold in that red zone for too long. So therefore, emotionally, they're far more with it. They're far more engaged. They're far more confident about what they're doing. And potentially, why we didn't see England get those points in those last games, and where they have won them previously, they just weren't able to tip the scales. And I was actually in a car on the way back um, from the game um, that I commentated on watching it. And and actually, it was really weird because the driver was like gutted that England had lost. And I was like, you know what? It is, it is rubbish, obviously. I'm a proud England supporter. But Scotland were ridiculous. They needed that game to prove to people that they were as good as they've been showing. They showed in the autumn. Um, we, I spoke about it last week. And then also with England, the biggest thing for this, it was it's gutting to lose a game like that with that much 
riding on it 150 years all of that it's the opening game of the six nations they need that to turn it around and actually as an England supporter I feel better that happening now than at the end of the tournament because if it happens at the end of the tournament you've then got a hell of a long time to wait until everything else it happens at the start whatever's happened now will be forgotten in four games time if they've turned it around and all of a sudden England come to life and you start to see the informed players potentially getting selected over the ones that haven't played um so yeah one question I've got for you though is one of the kind of main points that's been brought up and uh the now infamous screen grab of um Owen Farrell and the seven on three overlap that is an I actually think it was seven on two (laughs) knife there from the Nolatron um that's a back three who are supremely talented. You know, you've got two Lions test starters there. How are they How are they so blunt in attack England? How, how was there no creativity, no ideas, not one line break? You know what? It, there, it's, a, it's not just, a, there's a lot put on Owen Farrell and the 10s do pull the strings, right? So obviously they're fundamentally making the decisions, but the information has to be told to the 10 about what's happening so one of my roles as fullback was to be able to effectively communicate whether it by Rachel in the center to get to Katie to tell her this is a space this is how they're defending and this is what we need to do because the 10s are under an excruciating amount of pain when I played 10 at club I was the worst 10 ever. <laughs> one I didn't kick until I just used to pass it to Rocky so it's got hey, quite obvious you haven't seen me play 10 in it. your testimonial match yet <laughs> but messages guys that the, I'm out here on my own. <laughs> Hello. Um, Where's my fallback? Nolly told me to say this. I'm intrigued to know what information he's getting told because that information should be coming in. Now, is it because he has a re- relatively new centre with Ollie Lawrence? Is it so the communication's coming in, but it's not being heard by Owen? Is Owen overruling mm. everything and just making the decisions? The only reason I can suggest that that kick went in one, it's where it is territorial because of the pitch, but also Sean Maitland, who no one gives credit to, defensively comes up and in the eye line of Owen to block out, I think, the last four attackers. Now, that's where the out-the-back pass to the, the fullback works because you you actually manage to pull him out and then you just play on him on the two scenes. It's getting a bit geeky, but you can play on a defender when they shoot. But the idea of a shooting defender is to get in the eye line to stop that pass. And so if you stop the pass, what's the options for to run it or to kick it? Now, what do England want to do in that area? Normally, they want to kick it. So therefore, you're forcing that hand. And at the same time, when a winger shoots, the fullback is covering the space because I know that actually if they do run it, I'm in panic mode and I've got to get up and make the tackle on the edge because it's he's, he's isolated. Does that make sense? So yeah. It's that that's Scotland being defensively very clever as much as England playing into that and not making the decision. Now, is it Owen Farrell's rustiness? Is it sticking to a game plan? Is it lack of communication? Is it heat of the moment, see somebody takes an option that's wrong and then there's a freeze grab of, because there's loads of those all the way through the game. Yeah. A seven on two, yeah, is an obvious one, but actually... A two on one is missed so many times. Um, so yeah, I just I think there's lots of combinations, there's lots of reasons for it. Was it good enough? No. Is he better than that? Of course he is. Um, but I think there's lots of factors, and it's not just in an isolation of England are rubbish because they missed a seven on two. The last thing I want to ask before we move on to the next game is how many Scottish players are on a Lions tour based on that performance on the weekend? Oh, I just, you know what, I think, I think Finn Russell had such a solid game, um, obviously was, you know, class, um, I think Stuart Hogg has always been class, everyone knows that, he's just got to be in one piece, like that's the most yeah. important thing, he's just got to be protected and then and look enjoying friendly himself. fire when he gets there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, um, I think the forwards all stepped up, I think there's lads there that have, that... Hamish Watson gets a haircut, yeah, but... gets on that plane for me. Yeah, Johnny Gray, but I just feel like to be on a lot to be a lion, it isn't just about beating an England team that underperformed. It's about backing it up. It's about consistency. It's about robustness. It's about performing, dragging games back when you've lost it and then winning in the last moments. Those are the bits that make world-class players. And it's world-class players that get on the plane. It's not somebody that can win and win one thing. 
the reason I can say Finn Russell is because he has been doing it at club level against the best. I can say about Stuart Hogg because he has been there and done it and he is getting better. You know, so it's, I think that there's more for the other players to prove from a consistency perspective, but you've got to think there are more people with that Scottish accent looking or a version of the Scottish accent that's slightly South African that are looking to get on the plane. I just want to add that my favourite reaction to the match was probably Rob Wainwright, who was fresh from the snoods being delivered. Doddy Aid was over. His job was done. His watch was over. And he described it as one of the happiest days of his life seeing Scotland <laughs> win the Calcutta Cup at Twickenham. So I loved that. And it was, yeah, you know, for a neutral, it was a great day. So wonderful let's move on to a game that you know well because you were commentating uh, that won't have escaped anyone's notice especially <laughs> when you were shouting put it down <laughs> I genuinely, honestly so the Italians shifted the ball to the edge brilliant ship and chase although the ball hung for ages so I was like just come down for him to catch it and then I didn't mean to shout to two and a half million people for him to put the ball down um but I did and uh yeah I've had lots of really nice messages about the fact that I was they were in sync with me at home and actually you know what the whole thing about commentary is it's a privilege because you are genuinely just sat in someone's front room with them um chatting them through the game so to be able to do that with people um <laughs> wasn't meant but it was really good fun and you know what I I love working with Miles. He's just an absolute legend as Lee's comms. He's he was on really good form at the weekend. Um and and actually, right, so he does his um build-up chats and normally I will go through them with him just to get the tone and understand what he's kind of going to be covering so that my first reaction can build on what he said or complement it or even just be something totally different. And we've had a chat and we were kind of just talking, like, obviously, it's the start of Six Nations. It's super exciting, blah, blah, blah. And then I got, I became a fan because he was he was talking. And in the clips that ITV had put together, they'd got, like, momentous occasions from, I think, last year, Six Nations tried. And, and Miles was talking. And, and some of his one-liners are just so cool. And then all of a sudden, I had this, like, oh my god it's Miles like that was Miles saying it and then him saying in this introduction and the words and the and the emotion that he uses I just had this pause of oh my god I'm co-commentating with Miles Harrison on a Six Nations game and I actually got a bit emotional um yeah it was it was really two favorite iconic Miles lines do you want to hear them what's that 2001 Lions. Welcome to Fantasyland. <laughs> like, just it is miles. It's absolute best. And I'm thinking it was 2015 Heineken Cup final, um, which was Toulon Saracens in Cardiff. And his line is world class in so many areas. And it, it's the passion with which it's delivered. And <laughs> I think that's the beauty of Miles's commentary that everything feels quite off the cuff and, and you feel like he enjoys the match as much as every oh. fan at home. And sitting in the commentary booth with him, that must be something that you can only feed off of. I think before I've been so, so nervous and and, um, and just really worried about what I was going to say first and like, oh my God, have I got the team sheets and I've got like a dissertation worth of notes around me. And I like stripped it right back down. I had the team sheets, my little notes next to the names, um, and that was it. And I think I just wasn't, I was more in the moment. I was more, I was able to enjoy it. Um, interesting you say about him enjoying it because it's something that we talked about when we went through the teams because I have to write them down phonetically um, to make sure I say them right, uh, especially for the French and the Italians. And unfortunately, Simone, my boyfriend, took a photograph and put it on the WhatsApp group to show everyone how I'd written the Italian. Um, but when we were chatting he I said to him you know he totally inspires me with how much he just loves it and how much he just loves talking about rugby how he just has this real genuine passion for it and that comes through in your voice and your tone when you're commentating and then to be able to also commentate alongside Flats who is a great friend who has been an amazing supporter of me 
through playing days and then also into this crazy world of media I, I had a bit of a nervous start like I got a little my first couple of lines were a bit short they weren't quite as good as I wanted them to be but then I just had so much fun it was brilliant um the second that half made in particular easier when you're commentating on probably the best player in the world at the moment <laughs> well we talked quite a bit about um the fact that Dupont never smiles and he genuinely doesn't smile so he like set up the first try with well second try I think with um Fiku like little grubber three like unbelievable identification Barney's in the line defensively on the short side so there's no one in that in that kind of sweeping role fullbacks wide pushes it through and he just like trots back and then he um he scores his own try got man of the match none of it he's like not smiling in any of it and then they show this picture of him in his mask and I said to Flats I was like do you think he's smiling now because it's just been announced as player of the match and and Flats was like no and just by saying no I honestly I had a, I had tears rolling down my face I had to like move I could miles through to me and I was like oh my god <laughs> it was so brilliant um and then earlier in the so we came as you have always told me I need to um, make sure I keep my energy. I'm not hangry. I'm not dehydrated. Yeah. So um, I had a bottle of Coke and then I had um, some fruit pastels, which are a good, solid, sugary, sweet, not too yeah. chewy, but I put I don't two like in my mouth. And a lot of people no. go jelly babies. And, you know, I don't like eating sweets that are covered in flour. I put basically half time. We were chatting, both good vibes, which kind of chatting way, right? Went through some notes what would I do if I was the coach wrote down kind of those kind of points that's the type of reflection that I would have yeah. um Italy just try and score some points maybe um but um I put two fruit pastels in my mouth I, I don't know it went mental like absolutely mental and I could sense I don't even we hadn't even come back off air and I could sense that Miles was going to throw to me I don't know why and I had this pure panic because I was like, they're quite juicy. And so there was a lot of um, a lot of saliva that I was risking coming out that? when I, no, I, I chewed them so quickly. And then oh. I think I swallowed them pretty much whole. Um, oh, feel them going he did throw to me, but luckily I had enough time to, to get rid of all of that juice. But um, going back to Jelly Babies, can I just say one thing that um, I really miss? Woolworths. Oh yeah, me too. Do you know why? Um, one stealing pick a mix. <laughs> no, not what? stealing what? it. But my mum, my mum, my mum, every birthday would get a giant pick a mix, but would always put jelly babies and jelly tots oh. in there. Oh, jelly tots, yes. No, jelly babies, no. bomb. Um, yeah. I used to like the like flavored fudges in Woolworths, banana fudge, and like, do, do you remember Toffos? Yes. Because you can't get a Toffo anymore, but you could still get Toffos in a Woolworths pick well, but, but the thing is, my mom, I used to ask my mum, like, why are you putting them in there? She's like, because there's gaps and they're small, so they fill them. I'm like, mum, you don't have to fill the space. You are such an amateur. <laughs> yeah, I was That's also... Why you put so Smarties was... in last. Well, so then shake it, so they all fall down. Yeah. <laughs> if I could pour sugar in just to fill those nooks and crannies up. I do. Let's get back to rugby. Okay, question, 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 question. Sam oh. Warburton has made uh, comments that he thinks Italy should be relegated from the Six Nations Championship. Not that I want to give a view on this, but I, I find it unbelievable that he thinks that Georgia would have fared any better against France on the weekend. Where do you sit on this? I know that you've got certain, you know, Italian... Um, links that you have to be very careful about and we know that we've got a huge Italian contingent listening so we wouldn't want to upset them but what do you think? Um, I can see their frustrations I didn't realise that the French, uh, the Italians have been in the Six Nations for 21 years I think um, yeah. but I can see the frustrations with it but fundamentally how can you judge them on the performance when against a French team that didn't even get out of fourth gear and was still performing like that yeah. I think judge them at the end of the tournament I think you know, the opportunity for another team to potentially come up, yeah, like, all right, go for it. Like, you know, in terms of the Autumn Nations Cup, we saw different people in the women's. We've talked about different, obviously, we'll talk about that later, but there's a new format. Like, why not? If, you know, is it going to harm them if they play in a test match and they actually beat somebody? 
to be, and then it's going to give them more confidence in how they play to know that they deserve the right to yeah. constantly losing 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 so you know maybe it might be be worth it and if they don't win then Italian rugby needs to to look at what they're doing to get better they are in the pro 14 which is over and above the um you know nations like Georgia so therefore what how do they then start to re if they do get out of the six nations how do they re-sculpt invest in their club rugby and their club format to get better to then make their international team you know improve and, and go up so I don't think it's hard for me because I don't have the historical knowledge of the Italians being that bad I, yeah. I can look at the stats and see they haven't won for however many games I can see that you know that how that can frustrate people but from my perspective, I'm watching a team that actually played some good rugby. They got, they just don't finish it off. But if you look at the Pro 14, they don't finish off opportunities. It's reflected from a club perspective into the international. So therefore, that's, that to me is where they need to address the things. That's where they need to be working on stuff. Like it's actually Benetton, Deborah, they, they've actually played some good rugby. They, they play some yeah. good rugby. They've, got, they've won some good fixtures, but it's seeing through those moments, creating more depth. And like, I think the way that Franco Smith has got them playing is good. I just, there's some of the kicking strategy and tactics that I'm not quite sure about. I want to see how they fare against the other yeah. teams because with a, with a 19 and a 20 year old at nine and 10, I think they need to look at how Italy are playing and you can't judge how they're playing again against the ridiculously strong French side. Because bearing in mind, looking at the autumn, they held Scotland really close. So let's see how they do for the rest of the tournaments and let's bring up that conversation later. Okay. Just like well, the light, you know, just like all the Scottish players now going on the plane with the Lions. Let's see how they fare for the next few rounds. Just like you with your tryhards, match point predictions. Let's see how you fare the next few rounds. <laughs> I'm going to talk about Lions after every round and I'm not going to apologize for that. Um, let's talk about the last game of the weekend which well, the I... men's six nations weekend because there were other games yeah but we are i'm pretty sure that was still the last game of the weekend anyway mate um you got out of it <laughs> i have to say it was one of the weirdest exp- i was at the game uh working walking down a very dead and eerie westgate street on a six nations weekend in cardiff was one of the saddest feelings I've had during this pandemic it just felt cruel and unusual it kind of I'm not going to say lived up to it on the pitch but it delivered what you'd expect of Wales Island and it was a nasty old affair at times that game um can you see the winner of the tournament coming from either of those two sides there no I don't I don't think so um but I can see somebody putting their hand up for player of the tournament from one of the sides Justin Tipperick, take a bow, my friend. I just think he is incredible. He isn't a massive guy. Um, He made 31 tackles. And in my opinion, one of those tackles saved Wales the game. The cover tackle on Ringrose, fundamentally, they were in extra time. And if he hadn't made it, him and Alan Wynne-Jones were there. Like, it's just unbelievable. Ringrose had run around the outside backs. He's, like, done them and then... <laughs> Justin Timbrick's here. Um, unbelievable shift from him. Alan Jones. Oh my god! Some of the tackles. I, d- I didn't really watch him around the field. Like I don't do player watch on second rows very often, um, as you can imagine. I'm shocked. Um, but some of his tackles. Every time there was one of those tackles where you go, oh, he was at the end of it. Um, but it's like someone makes a half hit and then he just comes in and like slams him to the floor. He's like, yeah, mad. So that was a real good. finisher. Um, um, quite odd. Now, I want to ask you how you pick yourself up from whether you are on the winning side or the losing side. That game was Saturday. There were so many injuries for those two teams. How do you regroup after that? You know what? It, it's hard. And I think today it was announced. Dan Lidia's ACL. And I think from my perspective, someone that's gone through a lot of injuries to like it's this weird thing right so you would I don't know what they're doing now probably not you normally have your function and then you you'd see people on crutches and boots and stuff but actually they don't really make any sense make like they don't you get shoved in a boot whether you've got like even if you've just got like stood on toe yeah 
it's when you go back to the hotel and everyone goes and puts their comfy clothes on and just gets out of their suits and actually just like completely relaxes and you see like how exhausted all the forwards are battered and you go into the medical room and there's some pretty horrible feelings when you walk in and you see people that are are really badly injured um if they haven't been taken off the hospital already or you know knocks and bangs and bruises and and I think as somebody that has been injured you know that feeling like I know that feeling where I've gone back and then players come in and they go oh you're right then if how are you getting on and you go it's not that good and then you see their reaction and and so I think from that perspective it's it's going to have a bit of an effect on the team like it is awful because they're your friends you know you see Dan Lydia has worked so hard to get back to where he is he is I don't know him that well but the times I've met him just the loveliest person yeah. um he would have known and I think um Brian O'Driscoll tweeted ACL like because falling over like that and and no one touching you that's yeah, pretty yeah. much that injury and I don't know I think it will be tough but then you use it as a motivator it's not something that you're scared of it's not like people go oh am I going to be worried about getting injured no it's just you feel so bad for those people that are having to go through it how do players mentalities work when it comes to the build-up to a tournament do you do you buy into hype do you think to yourself yeah do you know what we've got a good squad here like we we could do something this year does that then evaporate when you lose a couple of those key players or is that not something that a player is going to have thought about themselves they're going to be worried about their own performances um I think when you're going in you're buzzing when everyone's in good shape and training and you can see how good people are and then yeah I mean obviously it is a bit of a concern if you've got some of your big hitters out I remember in the world cup in 2014 and Katie had injured her knee and um I think it was the first game she had her MCL and and they didn't know how bad it was and it was bad you know it was our captain and it was our fly half and you kind of think but then you also trust in the people that are there and and, and we had a re- like you know a solid squad we knew what was happening yeah. and, and also they try and make sure that you're communicated to as reg- as much as you can be um because what you don't want to do is like get people worrying and, and like thinking about something else but yeah. but fundamentally in that situation you've got to focus on yourself you've got to focus on what you're bringing to the party and, and making sure that you're in the best possible shape and you're being honest about your fitness and also if you need to step up or do something different from a leadership perspective or on the field from a decision making point of view um it is tough and 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 actually depending on where you are in some of those bio bubbles those lads might stay in like obviously um Dan Liddy it's a bit different he's going to be removed because he's going to need surgery on that but the other boys have been picked up Knox they might already be there so they will still be having an influence on the team in meetings in reviews in and around who they are as people because obviously everyone brings different levels of energy um so yeah I think it is always super exciting when you've got everyone there and you're like yeah we are like in a good place and it's like gutting but then you kind of like it's then an opportunity for someone else to step up into that yeah. chance. And it's not for you to be like, oh, you're not so-and-so. Oh, it's going to be bad because you're in now. It's like, oh, brilliant. We've got you. Like, let, yeah. you know, let's kind of work with who and focus on. And and genuinely, as players, as cliche as it is, and interviewers hate it, I hate hearing it, but it's the truth. When you finish one game, you review it, like you review the game that you've just played and you preview the person that you're playing the following week and then you make a game plan and then you play them like you don't focus on everyone's like surely you're thinking about the, the, yeah. that team you're like you're not you don't you mm. can't like you genuinely you don't have time well at the time of recording the podcast we don't know who and if Wales are going to call up additional players there's an assumption that they will because there are a number of players who um will definitely not be involved on Saturday for the Doddy Weir Cup one question I do want to ask you, I know there are a couple of things you want to talk about. One thing I really want to ask you is um, Johnny Sexton went off with a HIA on Sunday and after the game, he still fulfilled his roles as a captain and did interviews. Are we diminishing head injuries by allowing that to happen? When we recognise and remove head injuries, should in fact that mean that you're stood down from all duties? Was it right for him to be doing a post-match interview? Good question. I think the challenge with concussions is there's lots of different symptoms and there's lots of different levels. Um, I suppose where I would expect him to, to be able to do those interviews, for me, he would have had to have potentially passed an HIA 
Um, so sometimes, so when in the concussion in the semi-final, World Cup semi-final for me, I was removed off the field for an HIA. They reviewed the footage and said, no, you've got ataxia. So you stumble three times, your immediate removal, we're not even going to do an HIA with you. And I was like, so then I wasn't allowed back on. I then was allowed out into the crowd, but I was only allowed to speak to my parents to say that I was okay because they hadn't seen me. They just saw me go yeah. off the field. And then, so I came out. As soon as more people tried to come over to me to speak to me, they took me back in and they did an HIA. So I did the HIA. It was actually irrelevant. My medics knew that it was irrelevant, but they needed to get it done to basically in case I was then able yeah. to play four days later. It was never going to happen, but they put me through it. That then starts the, the return to the play to protocol. Play. Yeah. So I think from that perspective, I don't know whether that happens um, or happened for Johnny Sexton because um, he was, by the sounds of things, I don't know whether he failed an HIA or was an instant removal because of what had happened. Potentially protecting players, it might it might be worth thinking about because when you are concussed, you have various symptoms that you might not be aware of from an emotional perspective. Is it fair to put someone in to a live interview if they aren't as coherent as they they think they are um and it's a really difficult one and it's a really difficult judgment call because something a lot of it is done on how the person is feeling and you're spiking with adrenaline obviously they've yeah. just lost he's captain there's loads of stuff going on so I don't know I think it's a it's a good question and I, I suppose it would be right to maybe ask medical people and that would be where I would say right what would be your recommendations because fundamentally it's the health and well-being of the person yeah. um and making sure that I suppose the biggest priority is isn't necessarily what they say in the media is actually is it having a negative effect on their recovery yeah, as somebody absolutely. that's injured just like hmm. when someone's come off the field the most important thing is they get ice on the injury they compress it they look after it is doing an interview allowing the person recovery. to recover as best as yeah. possible yeah that's all I and I and I actually don't know the answer to that but I think it's a very good question Laura Jane Jane thank you what do you want to talk about in this game I know there's some things that you've been ruminating on I there was um on scrum five I was having a little watch um and they brought on um Nigel Owens and did an interview with him and they asked him I think fundamentally was it a red card I mean it couldn't have been any more obvious of a red yeah. card from a replay perspective um I think Barnsley didn't see it live um, for whatever reason you don't really see those things and you see people squirt okay. out of breakdowns all the time okay. um, but um, <laughs> but um, yeah Nigel has talked about actually and I didn't realise that Peter Amani had been red carded from a second yellow getting a second yellow in Pro 14 and had another yellow yeah. card for the same offence now I'd be interested because he's got previous what that then does to this red card because he's going to yeah. have to get a sanction if you've got previous in something like that. So yeah. one, I think... I mean, I'm sure he'll it, take a box of biscuits and they'll mention the fact that he was dressed tidily and that he showed remorse on the day. <laughs> but I, I I, do... There are big concerns for me that somebody has been done the same thing in a few different games before they get to test match level. Um, and then it happens. I mean, he, you could, he, he must be mortified. that He was the yeah. first ever red card for an Irish side in the Six Nations, um, in the men's. I don't know whether that's happened in the women's. Um, you're frowning, but that was a stat that was I've really? read somewhere. I'm very surprised yeah. by that. I don't know. Like it's got, it's a technical thing. It's a technical detail of what how he is going into that. There's a decision that how he does it, but there's technical which. Um, actually Barnsley described really well as like a chicken wing which I yeah. thought was actually a really good description um, but building on that I um, just want to say with regard to uh, Pete Omani I won't name the person but I was texting a former international captain on the weekend about it and I said oh Pete Omani's baby's due in three weeks how long do you think his ban will be and he said put it this way he'll be there for the birth so I think a lot of expectation is that he will see a lengthy time on the sidelines because of that. There's been lots of talk actually about um, and actually linking to Peter Omani in particular. So in the autumn, he spent a lot of time on the wing and he spent, he set up a couple of tries. He put in a grubber, I think, um, did offloads, did really quick hands, like out the back, like as an assist. Um, I think he even got a couple of tries himself. But when people say the effect, and there was a big debate on Scrum 5, which I really enjoyed about, the, and there's lots of stuff in the social media about playing against 14 players and surely the 15 should win yeah of course the 15 should win but that's not always the case because the effect emotionally psychologically the biggest thing for me and the biggest detriment was one the the 
velocity that he hits people and is a pain in the breakdown from a defensive perspective. But in attack, his ability to bring the game to life from, from an edge perspective is fantastic because you've got somebody with the power of a back row, but the skills of an outside back, the way he likes to move the ball, um, missing. And so if you look at their attacking structure, it doesn't have the same balance because actually he's there tactically. He's there because they will play certain phases to play back to him, to move the ball to him, to kick to him, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously something that they didn't have. The other side of the conversation that um, Nigel Owens was talking about was um, how the referees do their analysis on players. Um, and everyone always, like obviously the refs get slammed all the time um, for missing things and for or calling out stuff. I, having spoken to Fox, Sarah Cox, I can't believe how much analysis and reviewing and previewing that referees do. And um, got an insight into it. So in the sevens, oh, I can't remember what year it was, years ago, we were over in America. I think it was Doug Langley came in as tournament director and basically said, um, yeah, referees, yeah, what, girls? He came in and said, look, the referees have got together. Um, they've got their feedback. One of the biggest things from has come back from England is that there's too much chirping. Like you've got to stop talking. Like there's too much coming over the, like cameras on half time. There's too much coming from the, like questioning the referees um it might yeah and uh and they were like look and, and mids was like that's strange anyway it's from the tournament before a couple of tournaments before and it was Rach and Rach wasn't was injured so she wasn't in Atlanta and he was like oh don't worry like Rachel's not here blah, blah, blah. and they were like okay and then he went but we've got Nolly <laughs> <laughs> and the whole team were just literally like he's gone from like a to a level five with Nolly going into that um which I just thought was hilarious so from from that perspective um yeah and then I got pulled up for swearing at halftime which I should have done it was wrong for me to do because I know um it's wrong um and it's shown very wrong children um, yeah um I I really did swear actually but from a from a review perspective um Nigel Owens was talking about how before the tournament they've been reviewing blocking kicks so there's lo like loads of things about when a kick goes up, especially a box kick, that you get into the eye line or you get into the running supporters' way so that your team can catch the ball cleanly. And they've used Conor Murray as an example of this is what he does. And then on the back of the fact that they've done that review, they knew that that was his traits. They look at teams. They understand what teams, like the themes that they do, the way that they're trying to manipulate the laws. Blah, blah, blah. Conor Murray got penalised. And on the back of that penalty, Wales obviously went on and, you know, do you know what I mean? So it was like yeah. a big turning point in the game. So it was more just a, a point that I, I really enjoyed that Nigel brought it up because there's so much analysis now. Um, let's just pick up on referees because we need to give a shout out to Holly Davidson, friend of the pod, everyone's favourite ginger, apart from Nolly, um, <laughs> is refereeing her first this weekend. Um, I've got so yeah. much time for Holly, really pleased for her. Um, she's done her time on the line as assistant referee in the league. So, it, yeah, about time that she gets the whistle. Yeah, Glasgow v Benetton. Fair play. I think, you know, she's a great girl and uh, wish her all the luck because I think she'll have a good time in the middle of those two teams going hammer and tong. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's it's brilliant and shows the progression of um, lots of them getting opportunities. Joy Neville yeah. did... Um, TMO for Calcutta TMO. Cup. Yeah, which is big. Um, and big congratulations, actually, as well to Joy and uh, her partner, Simona. We, I think we mentioned that on the pod, but they are expecting their first child. So huge congratulations from the tryhards on that front. Um, shall we just quickly talk about the women's game? Although we have, we've done it again. We've, we've skipped over the fact that the women's game has been announced for the, for the Six Nations in April. I mean, obviously, lots of people listening to this will actually already know that. From my perspective, brilliant news, like the new format. Yes, it's shortened games, but it's games in a World Cup year, um, hopefully in sunshine. You've brought up the fact that it clashes with European rugby, is that European right? European knockout weekend. Um, but it will be the rugby on free-to-air television that weekend. Obviously, Channel 4 will have a game, but the women's games will be across the BBC that weekend. So, you know, if you yeah. haven't got pay TV, you can still watch some live rugby that weekend. 
yeah so brilliant news um and then other news Allianz Premier 15s is still running testing has come in the girls are still playing which is class um I really wow yeah unbelievable they beat Quinn 7-6 um Quinn's haven't played for a long time um it was 7-6 at half time so you can see how much of a defensive shift I think went in because Quinn threw absolutely everything um even sheep from the fields to try and get through the the extra defense and fair play to Susie's girls um I, I genuinely was shocked and very impressed with the result the Chiefs women following the blueprint that the Chiefs men kind of put down they were promoted to the premiership and then were obviously premiership winners within a decade do you think Susie's basically like yeah Rob did it we'll do it that's all right you know what so when she when she uh, I watched the Saracens game and then uh, when they beat them and in the interview she basically was like yeah I got loads to work on we still got loads to work on she was so nice and I messaged her being like oh my god like absolutely epic you know I've known Susie since I was 15 she's a brilliant friend one of has coached me been for club for country been a mentor um and she was like yeah the girls are amazing and I was just like oh, I'm so proud of the girls and I was just like I'm just so proud of you. And then after the, like all the interviews, like, yeah, it's okay. Like just batting it off. I just, I just think it's awesome. I think it's class that she's, they've rocked up. I'm really impressed with some of their players um, physically. Um, I haven't seen this game, but I'd like to just from, well, I don't know, maybe not because it wasn't the most running rugby. It was most of defence, but um, yeah, big, big double for them. Wasps also beat Worcester at home. That was a big result from them. Sari's battered DMT. I don't think we would expect that. And then the big, probably the big game this weekend for women's rugby is Quinn's Loughborough. Um, yeah. Can Quinn's bounce back and Loughborough on good form at the weekend? They beat Bristol. Yeah, so good. I just am really pleased that the games are going ahead and the, the girls are getting some decent game time because this is really super important that they are playing good, hard rugby in the build-up as much as possible to that Six Nations in April because actually... Yeah that later on this month, I think we've got some European games. So I'm pretty sure Patricia Garcia has gone back to Spain. And yeah. I think there's some there's some qualification rounds coming through for the World Cup um, in a few weeks for them. Plenty of rugby talked about today. Plenty of rugby coming up. Um, as always, keep in touch with us across social media. Remember those two tickets to a women's Six Nations match next year are up for grabs. So whoever gets in first, you can have them. Um, if you want us to shout about things on the pod, we are here. If you want to tell us anything, your deepest, darkest secrets, slide into our DMs. Um, and don't forget, if you haven't signed up to Match Point yet, there is still time. You can win the league each week. You don't have to win the overall thing to win prizes. So if you win the overall thing, you win a pair of tickets to the Six Nations men's tournament next year. But there are women's tickets every week to give away some Guinness stash, tryhard stash and pride more than anything. And my respect. Good luck with Match Point, everybody. Um, some good games this weekend. Laura Jane Jones, can Wales beat Scotland? No. Bye, everybody. Bye.